So for any of you just joining us, greetings. My name is Joel, and it's kind of my privilege to open up God's Word today. Our text is Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 34. I want to help us to lean into this text before we get into it. I want us to I want to locate ourselves as Jesus' disciples in this world with an illustration. Envision that we're in a large ship and we're down in the hole, you know, this part underneath the deck. There's only a single porthole window, but it's covered with a lot of grime. So all you're getting is just a bit dim bit of glow that comes through into the ship hole. You see yourself there? It's a very dark place. It's filthy. The air is putrid and dusty. Are you with me? Everything is coated with grime. You can make out dimly trash and waste on the floor. Oh, and your puddles of water you're stepping in because this old ship is leaking. And being on a ship, it rocks, it shudders. Sometimes you feel dirt coming down on your head. Oh, and you're not alone. You look around and you see your neighbors. They're sitting there besides piles of rotting clothes, rotting food, other items. Some have nice little stockpile stashes. Others are just clutching on to the little bit they do have. Now, just outside this boat, you and I, we know that there is this massive, glorious, beautiful island. I mean, ever seen a beach where the sand is just so white and it contrasts with the beautiful blue ocean? And this island, it's lush and green on the inside. There's all kinds of fruit trees. Now envision even more, there's a sun just starting to peek up over the horizon and you just, you ever seen one of those early morning sunrises where you got the pinks and the oranges? It's just beautiful. And you know you're about to arrive at this glorious island. It's paradise. But your neighbors have absolutely no idea about this glorious reality just outside. They've never seen the sun, never seen the sky, can't imagine a beach, fruit trees. They have no idea of anything other than this stinking dark hole of a black ship they've been in their whole lives. Do you see where you are? What are you going to do to help them? Will you simply describe what paradise is like? Tell your neighbors who have never seen the sun, paradise, anything like this. Just describe it to them. Tell them, do you think that is going to be sufficient to convince them? So what else can you and I do to help our neighbors? We do need to give them the message, but what else can we do? Let's take in what Jesus has to say in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 22. And he, Jesus, said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? 
And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the ocean, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, will you do something momentous in the mere moments we have here? We pray that the man behind the pulpit will go away and that we will hear and see nothing more than just our Savior, Jesus Christ, in all his glory. And Lord Jesus, what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, and what we are not make us. Heavenly Father, send your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it's very crucial when we come to Luke 12. It's a large chapter. We have to set the scene for Jesus' teaching. Picture a massive crowd. In the first verses, chapter 12 tells us that literally in the Greek, 10,000 people are trampling one another to get to Jesus. Jesus' teaching arises here in the midst of a vast mission field, hurting people who are looking for hope looking for help. 10,000 people flock to Jesus. What would you expect Jesus to do? Grab the bullhorn. All right, all heads down. I want you to raise your hand if you want to ask me into your heart. And then afterwards, march them all down to the river and baptize them. No, Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't even multiply a sack lunch for these people. In front of the masses, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, huddle up, boys, and he begins instructing them. The focus is on them. We should find this puzzling. Peter mm -hmm. finds this puzzling. Read on, and you'll hear him saying, Jesus, are you only talking to us? Friend, I'm about to give a sermon on why we should not be anxious or worry. But a major motive acting fa motivating factor for why has nothing to do with you. This is not going to be an anxiety self-help sermon, at least not in the first place. Jesus calls us to sit at his feet and to learn not to worry because we're surrounded by a hopeless humanity. Most of your neighbors have no idea Jesus coming inaugurated the kingdom of God on this earth. Here in Luke 12, Jesus has already announced he's on his way to the cross to usher in the rule and reign of God. His resurrection will bring forth the new creation paradise for all who will simply receive him. The kingdom of God has come in Christ, and if you believe in him, 
You realize your lifetime, your whole life is just a countdown to that glorious reality to come. But folks who are in total darkness, they cannot see what we see dimly through a dark mirror by faith. I want us to get that picture because we are not kingdom builders. God doesn't need us to build the kingdom for him. You hear that talk a lot. The kingdom is already there. It's been perfected. God doesn't want us to build the kingdom for him. God wants us to reveal the kingdom for him. How do we do that, Joel? We do that with our words. We have to share the gospel, but we also do that by our no worries witness, by our distinct way of living in this world. The gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God is certainly a message, but the good news appropriated, and I mean taken in from the top of your head all the way to your toes, when it's taken into the core of your being and lived out, it shows folks that while you're from the same place as they are, you also are from somewhere else. You're a resident of a better place because of your unification with Jesus Christ. You've been united with him. Christians alone are privileged to live in two worlds, which is why we must not live anxiously in this one. Now, a little side note, I want to be sensitive. Anyone here who takes anxiety medication, listen to your doctor. But the Bible does tell us that anything that does not proceed from faith is sin. Romans 14, 23. So anxiety is not just a physical condition. It is a spiritual matter as well. I heard of a seminary professor who once asked his students at the start of a semester to raise their hand if they struggle with anxiety or worry. And every hand went up. He then asked by a show of hands, how many of them struggled with lust or porn? Not a single hand. And he said, you have just showed me what is the acceptable sin of our day. Jesus does not want us to think that anxiety is acceptable. Look at verse 22. He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Human life is more than simply eating, more than clothing our bodies, because we are eternal creatures. And Jesus is looking you in the eyes today, and he is saying, How much do you believe that? Jesus wants us not to be anxious for the sake of our witness to the world of who he is and what he's come to do. Let's just be frank. It's not that easy. I was just talking with Ed about how much the world has changed in the last three years since I was here. <laughs> Let's not be Pollyanna. We're on a sinking ship that is taking on water faster than we can bail it. Yet Jesus says, don't be anxious. Your life is more than your physical needs. Two years ago, do you remember what was happening? Folks are ransacking stores for toilet paper and canned goods. The shelves were empty. Let's be honest. Some of us had stockpiles in our basements. Is that you? Are you keeping a hidden stockpile of toilet paper while your neighbor is running around with nothing? Let me ask you, if your neighbor had knocked on your door, do you have a roll to spare? Would you even have a square to spare? If you'd gone down in your basement, would you have gotten the good stuff of Charmin, or would you give them the stuff you were hoping not to use anyways? Let's just be real. Friends, we're all anxious about having enough in this world, and we covet the best of it. We're all gu guilty of thinking life is about grabbing and not trusting God. 
Now, I'm not claiming to have reached the summit. Sometimes God brings us through things that actually are a great help to us. About 15 years ago, God began to help me to live out a no worries witness before I even became a pastor. About a month after Jamie and I got married, we began faithfully attending a local church, which we hadn't done for quite a while. I remember on Sunday, August 5th, 2008, Pastor Steve Ganger preached a sermon about worry. And he said, worry is a sin. We must trust God to take care of us. Worry is a sin had never dawned on me. And I remember after that, I remember praying, I worry about a lot of things. God help me not to worry. Three days later, on 8-8-8, August 8, 2008, it's an easy day to remember, we had a surprise plant meeting at work. And I was laid off with no notice with about 400 other people. Some of you may remember how bad the recession was, especially in Elkhart County. Some of you may not. It was bad. You know the very first city President Obama visited because of the recession was Elkhart, Indiana? Here I was. I had just finished building a home, I had a large mortgage, and our economy is crashing. Folks everywhere without work, and now I'm in the same boat. You know what was going through my mind? A lot. But one thing in particular, worry is a sin, worry is a sin, worry is a sin. So on the way home, I stopped crying long enough to call my wife to tell her what happened. I told her, don't worry. In fact, I got a flyer here as I was leaving the job for, for a job fair. So we head over to the job fair, and there are no jobs, unless I want to join you know, the armed forces. We're leaving, and a reporter pulls me aside and says, hey, I, are you part of the big layoff? And the Elkhart Truth, I've, I've talked to her for a little bit, the old reporter. She said, I heard you're part of this huge layoff. Can you get your story? I said, sure. She asked a lot of questions, particularly was I angry, was I bitter, they gave me no notice, all these other things. I told her, no, it's a tough time for employers. I'm sure they didn't want to do this. And then she said, Joel, what is your biggest worry? And without even thinking, I said, I'm not worried. Worry is a sin. <laughs> she put down her pen. She kind of looked at me. Then she picked it up and wrote something. <laughs> a minute later, the interview is over. The next day, I made the front page of our local paper, first and only time. A day later, I'm sitting in the supermarket while my wife is putting an application for a job, and I get a call from my old boss. Somebody in corporate had read the front page, and they were so pleased that I didn't badmouth the company and that I had such a good attitude, they said, they insisted to my old boss, you have to find a position for this guy. And they called me back. It was a moment that changed me. Because God showed me, that my, myself and my wife, that he can take care of us if we're willing to put our trust in him. God is able to care for us better than we can for ourselves. As Jesus goes on to say in verse 24, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. Yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a smaller thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Now it's interesting, if you go back and read Luke 12, Jesus says the birds don't build barns, which follows on the heels of a barn building debacle. He told the story, Jesus, of a rich fellow who had got a bumper crop, decided I'm going to hoard it all. He said, soul, you're going to have years to live it up, eat, drink, and be merry. 
But while this rich fellow was drawing up blueprints for bigger barns, God was drawing up his obituary notice because he had predetermined that his soul was due that night. This rich, greedy fellow, he died and enjoyed none of it. And Jesus said at the end of that, right before this text, do not lay treasure up here on earth, but be rich towards God. That's really what this whole sermon's about. Disciples live in two worlds, but we only invest in one. And Jesus is showing us how greed and worry are actually connected. Worry fears, I won't have enough. Greed says, I can never get enough. And both come from a lack of trust in God, a lack of faith. Here's something interesting I've discovered. I'm preaching through Luke's gospel. Do you know that in Luke, Jesus talks more about wealth than anything except for himself? The dangers of wealth. Jesus wants to get our attention. What do you mean, Joel? I'm convinced that a most detrimental thing to impact the American church is a consumerist vision of society. I've read the surveys, actually. I've asked many folks in our community, top reasons you go to church or would want to go to church, children's programs, and we like the music. And neither of those are bad. But I rarely hear anybody say anything remotely like, I go to church to be discipled so that I can be a blessing to the world. I rarely hear that. It's about what we like, what we want. That's why churches today are seen by our unbelieving neighbors as basically vendors of religious goods and services. We're so impacted by a society that is thoroughgoing consumeristic. And we are so, 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 so beyond basic needs in our society. Our culture is this generator of wants. I get 30, 35 minutes to compete with what's going to hit you 24-7 the rest of this week. But Jesus doesn't want our lives on earth to be worshipers at the idol of consumerism. Because we'll look no different than our neighbors who are constantly out there looking for the next fix. So what does Jesus want? For all of us to walk out of here today, not inspired by a half hour of a good sermon and soon after looking for another experience to fill us up. Jesus wants you to leave here as an ever-maturing disciple, more secure in how much God values you and how he will take care of you and provide you all you need so that you will live less attached to this world, less anxious. I mean, how much money and time do we spend trying to make our bodies healthy and strong when Jesus says, you can't even add a single hour to your life. You can't do something as simple as that. So why let such things consume your thoughts? Verse 27, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus says, let the flowers, let the birds be your teachers. The birds are not anxiously building barns. The flowers are not out there spinning clothes. They understand God blesses them, and he loves to bless them. And even though they have really, really short lifespans comparatively to us, they don't sweat it. So children, here's a poem for you guys to, to learn, learn now, and maybe you can recite to your parents later by Elizabeth Cheney, so you can look it up. 
Here it is. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. We're the only part of God's creation that is blind, that cannot see his rule and reign. Jesus is saying that birds and flowers can teach us daily of God's reign, of his rule. He has complete and utter control. His hand is caring for each and every creature. And Jesus wants us to have the same kind of witness to our neighbors, that God is ruling and reigning. We should be living with, in a sense, a divine carelessness. Nature teaches us by their actions. They don't even speak. So that means the mission to the world is more than simply describing God's reign with words. Yes, we need to do that. It means our verbal testimony, but it also means that we are living lives that show the world we are convinced of God's rule and reign, his absolute control. And did you notice Jesus identified our malady? Did it hurt when he put his finger on that? He said, oh, you of little faith. He looks at you with all your worry, all your discontent, all your fear. And he says, oh, you of little faith. It's actually an earlier scene where Jesus scolded his disciples for their faith. It's back in Luke 8, where the disciples found themselves in a boat in a raging storm. And these experienced sailors are freaking out. They think they're going to perish, so they go and they wake Jesus up. It's pretty clear they're not convinced of Jesus' absolute reign. And Jesus says to them, where is your faith? It's actually kind of comical. We should laugh at them and we should laugh at ourselves. Because if they're convinced that they're going to die, why are they waking Jesus up? They're waking Jesus up because they believe he can save them. He's the son of God. If the son of God is in the boat with you, are you going to die? No, thank you. Well, let's play that out. Suppose the boat did go down. They all drowned, except for Peter. He grabs a hold of one plank and he ends up drifting to shore. Someone finds him. He ends up growing to be an old man. Peter's grandpa, Peter now. Someone just became a grandpa. And granddaughter comes up to Peter and says, Grandpa, what was the greatest thing you ever saw in your life? What do you think Peter would say? He would say, I saw the transfiguration. <laughs> the son of God, the Messiah. God spoke from heaven as he was transfigured in glory before us. Wow, Grandpa, Peter, you saw the Messiah? Of course. I was with him when he fed thousands. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He was God in the flesh walking on earth. Really, Grandpa, what happened to him? Oh, he drowned in a boating accident. Do you see how utterly ridiculous this is? Do you see why Jesus rebukes him them for their lack of faith? And Jesus calmed that storm, didn't he? He wiped the sleep out of his eyes and with the word, hushed that storm like it was a trained puppy. And then they found themselves in fear and trembling over who Jesus was. 
because they understood his absolute rule and reign. So ask yourself, which of your current worries would just simply evaporate if you took in the greatness of who your God is? How might our lives look different to our neighbors if we were constantly just saying, no worries, no worries, because of who my God is and the safety I have even in this rocking boat we're in in 2022? Verse 29, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Here, I think, is our first dose of worry removal. There's actually 10 imperatives in this text, but here I find our first dose of worry removal. Jesus says, your Father, you have a Father who understands your needs better than you do. J.C. Ryle writes, that thought alone should make us content. All our needs are fully known to the Lord of heaven and earth. He can meet those needs whenever he sees fit. He will relieve them whenever it is good for our souls. He will when it's good for our souls. The nations, all those not yet believers out there that you know, they're running around after food and drink. We saw it two years ago. Not us. Jesus says, instead, verse 31, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. C.S. Lewis has a really brilliant article where he talks about first things and second things. The kingdom of God is our first priority, and the things of this earth are secondary. Jesus says, if we put the kingdom of God first, we'll get all the rest thrown in. If we put food, drink, toys, sex we'll actually lose all. And the pleasures of those things, while you do have them, will be ever-diminishing, ever-diminishing pleasures. But if we put the kingdom of God first, all that's added. You see, the problem is not that our desires are too strong, but that our desires are too weak. We're fooling about with drink, sex, ambition, all these things. We're making mud pies in the slum because we're failing to trust in the greater glory, the paradise that God has created has established for us. And friends, that is what Jesus wants us to believe this week and going forward. Verse 32, I love this verse. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. By the way, this means there's no worries to our kingdom seeking. Do you hear that? We seek the kingdom with the absolute firm promise that it is the Father's good pleasure to give it to us. Despite all our weakness and all our failings, and Jesus knows all our weaknesses. Notice he didn't address you here as lions or tigers or bears. He addresses us as vulnerable sheep. And we're to own that because God's power is perfected in our weakness. But back to this wonderful reassurance that the Father is smiling at you as he holds out the kingdom. Same Father who said earlier he knows how many hairs are on our head. He cares for us. And perhaps that's hard for us to believe at times. That glorious place just outside the darkness that we find ourselves in. And perhaps one or two souls here are thinking, Joel, how can I truly know it is the Father's good pleasure to give me the kingdom. I haven't had success. I haven't had money. 
rotten childhood. I have health issues. Folks have betrayed me. I've got all sorts of issues. How can I know, Joel, that the Father is pleased to give me the kingdom? Well, my friend, you cannot. And you will not know the Father's pleasure by any of those things. Any of them. Because where will you be when the boat pitches and all those things are gone overboard? You'll be out to sea, won't you? How can you know that the Father cares? Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You set your eyes on the greatest gift the Father could have ever given you, his only begotten beloved, who he sent to endure all the darkness for you. Tell me, what greater expression of the Father's love could there possibly be? I pray that we take that in as we come to these closing verses, because then they don't seem so hard. They don't seem so much. Verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. you read church history you know one of the main reasons this tiny little church so impacted the greater world they were so certain of God's care for them that they were able to give generously to all the needy they said if God did not spare his own son how can we not spare what we've been given as we close I want us to consider those two promises the father knows our needs better than we do and it is our Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. I think we can use those, or think of those two promises as a regular cleaning solution. What do you mean, Joel? We began with the illustration of a ship hole, a dark place where we find ourselves. And just outside, this is this glorious place, this glorious reality that's lasting. I think that greed and anxiety that actually got us in this mess in the first place that's the pollution. That's the fog of lies that just saturates our world. And our worries and our anxieties, well, they're the dirt that just coats everything, including this porthole window that's clouding our vision so our eyes of faith only see dimly that glory. I think God's promises here are like a cleaning solution that we can take to that grime more and more and more. We can begin to clean that window so the kingdom of God shines more and more into our own lives. You and I cannot cause that glory out there to be any more real. It's there. That's just the way it is. But when we see more and more that we belong to another world, united by the Spirit to Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God to come, we can begin to clean that window so that it's shining more and more into our own lives and into the world that our neighbors are seeing. By selling and giving, we can not only begin to shine in the darkness, but our lives can actually bring a cleansing effect as a holy priesthood. That porthole that's covered with grime, we can be scraping away at that each and every day. And some of our neighbors will see that light and they'll be wondering and find it good. Is there something more? I found that in my own life, 
that sharing the glory to come with someone works best when I seem to be unfazed by all the other things in the world that everyone else is concerned about. I found that over and over. I can share the gospel, but if I, don't have, if I have all these concerns and worries everyone else has, it seems to have very little impact. People can see if you're anxious. People can also see if you're generous. Both of these tell the world what we're trusting in. And they give us opportunity for the reason that's the hope that's within us to share with our neighbors. I just want to say I've been so encouraged by Grace Reformed Church. You guys are an outward-facing church. You have the steel in your spine that we need to as those called out of darkness. You also have that same steel in your spine as being an outward-facing church. It's been a delight to talk with Matt to see your 25th anniversary. You guys get that God's primary work is not here. God's primary work is not in the church. God's primary work is out in the world. And the church is the instrument that God is using to go out there and to reach that world, to bring them in to the glory of Jesus Christ. So I encourage you to continue to reveal the glorious kingdom of God by your no worries witness to our hopeless neighbors. Keep doing what you're already doing. And trust God to lead you as you give witness to his glory through your no worries witness. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what manner of love is this? That we should be called your children. And such we are. And we give you praise and thanks. For you gave the greatest gift that you could have ever given in your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask and pray, Father, that uh, you will help us to be taking in your promises. And bring these to our memory again and again by the power of your spirit. That this week we may go out a less anxious people, a less worried people, a people who have this divine carelessness. And we pray that you will give us opportunities whereby we can share the Holy Gospel, invite our neighbors to hear the Gospel here at Grace Reformed. Lord, that we can actually begin to shine the light into the darkness of this twisted and crooked generation that's in a boat that's going down. Father, help us for the glory of your Son. If you would give us the greatest gift in giving us your Son, we just want to be able to participate in that work of giving your son a wonderful present of people. And we don't want that to be any puny present. So we pray you'll help us in this in Jesus' name. Amen.